two is segula. Step three is mikvah, which means go wash. Step four is ketubah. Step five is hoopah. Hoopah. This is a hoopah. This is called a talit. Let me hear you say talit. A hoopah was made from a talit. They, they would take one of these and they would see how it's got the four tassels there. They, they would tie it to the four stakes and it would make a canopy over the married couple. A, a talit was known as the presence of God. Um, th this is a scale model of the holy veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. Um, it's sort of like a Ferrari that way. Um, how many of you guys, how many of you guys would love to own a Ferrari? Right? How many of you guys have enough money to even think about that? You, don't, you can't even own a Hyundai, all right? So, so how are you going to own a Ferrari, all right? So, so most of us would want to own a Ferrari, but since none of us have the money, what do most guys do? They buy a scale model, they put it on their mantle, and it does something for them that says, I can't own the real thing, but I can own a piece of something, all right? That's this. There was only one veil. And how many people ever saw it? One. So, 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 but it was, the, it was the presence of God. It held the presence of God back. And so, and so what they did is they made scale models of it. Um, this is an exact, I can't remember the ratio, but it's an, it's an exact scale model of it. And they would wear it all the time. And the idea was, is that you can't organize your life where God is here but not there. That, that in, in Hebrew, there is no word for spiritual. No such word. We say, in my spiritual walk, or we might even say, how's your spiritual walk? They would never ask that in a Hebrew culture. In a Hebrew culture, there isn't even a word for spiritual. Everything you are is spiritual. You can't have your spiritual life and your natural life. The best life is found in understanding that God is with you here, and he's also with you there. That, that God is with you when you're in church, but he's also right in the middle of how you talk to your wife. He's also right in the middle of how you treated the person who cut you off in traffic. He's also right in the middle of how you treat the waitress when they mess up your order. He's right in the middle of, of how you treat the person that disappointed you, the person who disagrees with you. That God is right in the middle of everything you're doing. So everything you do and everything you say, God is right in the middle of it. My, my grandmother used to ask me, Shane, would you do that if Jesus was watching? And the intimation is, is that there's ever a moment Jesus isn't watching. What, what the ancient Jews knew is that the best life is found in being God aware all the time. That God is with you here, but he's also with you there. And they did this, they reminded themselves of this by wearing a small version of the holy veil. A later writer said it this way, don't you know that the most holy place lives in you? Don't you know that you are the temple of the living God? Don't you know the Spirit of God dwells in you? Well, if the Spirit of God dwells in me, what do I need to wrap? I need to wrap him with something. And so they, they, would, they would use this to remind themselves that, that I'm actually a temple. That, that I am not just flesh and bone and sand and dirt and light and dark. I'm actually a holy place. This is the presence of God. Numbers chapter 15, verse 37. In Jesus' day, this was called the Torah. It was the way they lived. You, you ought to, if you don't, if you don't um, know Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you ought to go back and read it. Um, not to find out what God is like, but to find out how they lived. That's two different things. Um, this is the way they lived, and it explains a lot in the Bible. I'm going to show you one of that right now. November, um, November I'm, I'm sorry. Numbers chapter 15, verse 37. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels and attach them to the corners of your garment with a blue cord running through each tassel. And you will have these tassels to look at so that you will not prostitute yourself by going after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. For I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. For I am the Lord your God. So he says, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to make tassels. I want you to make tassels. I want you to attach it. 
to the corners of your garment. Now, there's some very important words there. The first word is the word garment. The word is talit. Can you say that with me with some gusto? Talit. All right? Talit is what we just talked about. It was the chuppah. It was the presence. It was, it was this sort of thing, all right? That God is not just here, but he's also there. That you cannot organize your life where God is with you here, but he's not with you there. Second word I want you to learn is the word corners. The word is kanaf. Kanaf. Now I want you to say that with me with some go San Francisco Giants gusto. Okay, everybody go. Kanaf. Try that again. Kanaf. Now, so he says, what I want you to do is I want you to put tassels on the kanaf of your garment. Can everybody see that? I want you to attach tassels on the corner of your garment. Now, the word kanaf has four possible translations. First is corner. Second is border. Third is hem. You can see all that. But the fourth translation of it is the word wings. Here's why. When the priest would bless the people, he would do this. He would stand before the people and he would say, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance to you and give you peace. Do you see how the word kanaf started to mean wings? So here's what he said. I want you to take tassels and I want you to attach it to the kanaf of your garment. Now, I'm going to walk so everybody can see this. There's a tassel, all right? That tassel has a lot of symbolism in it. Every tassel had five knots in it, one for each, war, one for each book in the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Five knots, one for each word in the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So it's not just that you're wearing the presence of God, it's how you wear it. Are you wearing the presence of God in a way that is attached to the word of God? So what they would do is they would look at the tassels. They would have these things as tactile reminders. And he says, I want you to look at them and remind yourself, my ways brought you from slavery to freedom. My ways brought you from darkness to light. My ways took you from Egypt to the promised land. My ways are the best ways for your life. So it wasn't just that you were wearing the presence of God. The question isn't who belongs to God and who, is, who doesn't. As soon as somebody frames it that way, I know they're missing the point. We are gods, they are not gods. No. Ezekiel 18.4 says every living soul belongs to God. Every living soul. The question isn't who is wearing the presence of God. The presence of God is everywhere. The question is who is wearing it with the tassels. Who is wearing it with the word of God attached to it. So what they would do is they would wrap the tassel around their hand like this. They would tie it around their pinky like that. They'd wrap it across and then tie it around their pinky like that. And then they would wear the presence of God, and they would look at the tassels and remember the word of God, the ways of God, the name of God, the grace of God. This is what brought us from slavery to freedom. This is what brought us from darkness to light. This is what took us from Egypt to the promised land. So that any time someone wanted to sin with their hands, they had to take a second and they had to unwrap God. They had to physic. it was a physical deterrent. It was, it was something they would do to keep them from sinning with their hands. Because it wasn't just, oops, I did this on accident. If I was going to sin with my hands, I had to stop, look, and physically decide I'm going to separate myself from God for this moment. It was to keep you from sinning and falling. So, so the five knots were for the word of God. In between the five knots are four spaces. I'm going to walk where you can see it. The four spaces are the four letters in the holy name Yahweh. Yud, He, Vav, He. Yud, He, Vav, He. Yud, He, Vav, He was defined as this in Exodus 34. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. A later writer called it the disposition of Messiah. So it wasn't just that you were carrying the presence of God. It's that you're carrying the presence of God with the word of God and the name of God. That your demeanor is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness. I'll say it this way, you can be right but be wrong at the top of your voice. It's, it's, it's this, it's, it's not just that I'm carrying the presence, I am God's child, yes, but are you carrying it with the word of God and the name of God attached to it? Are you compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness? That yud, hey, vav, 
hey. You know that word in Hebrew doesn't even exist. It doesn't even make sense. It, phonetically, you can't even say it. The, the rabbis had to come up with a way to pronounce it. So what they did is they took the vowels from Adonai, which means Lord. They put it between the Y-H and the V-H, and it says Yehovah. Yehovah, Yud, He, Vav, He is not pronounceable. They didn't even know what to do with it. And so later they said, listen to it, listen to it. Yud, He, Vav, He. And they said it was the sound of breathing. That is why a later writer said, for it is the name of God that holds all life together. Why? What is the first thing a baby has to do when it's born? It has to breathe. What's the last thing someone does before they die? They take their last breath. As long as you were breathing and saying God's name, God sustains your life. Isn't it interesting that if you had coffee tomorrow with an atheist, that he would be using the name of the one he doesn't believe in to sustain his own life. And God is nice enough to allow it. It is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. It's not that God is here and not there. God is with you wherever you go. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said it this way, my father who is in heaven. Horrible translation. I hate that translation of the Lord's Prayer. In the original language in both Greek and Hebrew, in the Hebrew version of Matthew and in the Greek version of Matthew, it says this, my father who's as close to me as the air that I breathe, I stop and become aware of you. That God is not in heaven somewhere. God is as close as your breath. And your breath is sometimes his picture to the rest of the world. If your neighbor, if the only picture of God your neighbor ever got was you, what would they think God is like? If the only picture of God your seven-year-old ever gets is you, what would they tell me God is like? That God is not in heaven. God is actually in you and he's in me. And our job is to bring hell, heaven to every place we see hell on the earth. It is never to go to heaven one day. Heaven one day is a great byproduct of what our calling is to partner with God to establish the kingdom right here. So you have the talit. You have the five knots. The knots were for the five books of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It was for the four spaces between each knot, the holy name, Yahweh, Yud, He, Vav, He. Oh, there's more. Check this out. It, if you tie that properly, it takes exactly 613 loops to make a tassel. There is exactly 613 commands in the Torah. So it's not just that you're carrying the presence of God, you're carrying it with the word of God and the name of God and the ways of God attached to you. Oh, check this out. There's even more. If you tie it properly, eight strands comes off at the bottom. Eight in Hebrew numerology is the, is the number of grace. It's the number of new beginnings. It's the number of covenant. On the eighth day, there's a new creation. It's, it's, it's this kind of thing. So it's, the, it's, it's not just that you're wearing the presence of God. It's you're wearing it with the word of God and the name of God and the ways of God and the grace of God all attached to you. That every living soul carries the presence of God, but it's the ones that carry it with the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God and the grace of God that actually bring an impact to the world. May we live a life of our hands wrapped in the tassels. It's, it's not here, but not there. It's everywhere you go. Now, now that you know that, that's in numbers. See, you thought numbers was boring. It's not that boring once you look at it. So, so that was in numbers. Certain scriptures start to come to mind. Like, for instance, Jesus said this. He said, beware of the Pharisees because they wear their tassels too long. <laughs> in other words, in other words um, people in Jesus' day sometimes like to make a very big outward show of their religiosity. Jesus said, beware. Aren't you glad we outgrew that? <laughs> Essentially, Jesus says, beware of people who make a big show of their spirituality. It's normally fake. I, I always love when someone says, I am the prayer warrior here. Okay. <laughs> if you have to tell someone you're in charge, you're not in charge. Right? I am the head of this household. All right. You're the head, but she's the neck. She's turning you any way she wants. See, <laughs> so, no, 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 no. Jesus says, beware of the Pharisees because they, they wear their tassels too long. Remember, there's this, there's this one place where it says that... Um, that there's this guy named David, and David killed a giant, and, um, and Saul got very jealous, and so Saul started chasing him around the country, and it says that David had to hide in these caves, and remember it says that there was this one time that Saul happened to go into the cave David was hiding in, but Saul didn't know he was there, and David, Saul had to use the toilet, remember, and, and actually the actual Hebrew is he went into the cave to cover his feet, which is disgusting, but, but nonetheless, I, I guess you'll get that later, it's like, 
Okay. So anyway, so he goes, he goes into the cave to use the bathroom, and it says that David snuck up behind him, and he cut off the corner of his garment. Right? Now, my Sunday school teacher told me that David was letting him know I could have killed you, but I won't. Um, my Sunday school teacher was great, but no, that's not the point at all. If Saul was the king of Israel, what would he have had attached to the corner of his garments? Tassels. So when, when, when David sneaks out behind him and he cuts off the corner of his garment, what would he have been cutting off of Saul's being? His tassels, which is what? The word of God, the name of God, the grace of God, the nature of God. In other words, it wasn't David's call to remove God's presence from Saul. He was just making a commentary on how Saul was living. So Saul finishes his business and he puts the presence back on him and he walks out to his people and he can't find his tassels. And then there's a guy in the distance named David holding up the tassels that he had cut off of Saul. And remember it said, and Saul saw it as a reproach? Of course it was. In Jewish culture, if you cut off someone's tassels, it was your way of saying, hey, bro, what you used to have in God, I now have. What you, what you used to carry, I now carry. You're not keeping the commands. You're not doing what God has called you to do. I have your tassels. There's, there's all these, oh, um, um, under the shadow of his wings, kanaf. Like, does God, is God like a bird that has wings? No, no, it's function. What is it talking about? It's talking about under the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, the grace of God, the nature of God. In those days, they used to do something called going into their prayer closet, which was what they would do is they would step away and cut out all the white noise, and they would go into their prayer closet. And they would put themselves under the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, the grace of God, the nature of God. An interesting prophecy came about about Messiah. It's in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. Likely, if you came up in church at all, you would have memorized this, okay? It says this, Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, talking about Messiah. It says, there will come from God a son of righteousness with healing in his wings. The word is kanaf. In other words, whoever Messiah is, you'll be able to tell that he's the real Messiah by the fact that there's healing in the corners of his garment. Turn to Mark chapter 5. So what I do when I come on the midweeks like this is I try to set aside Bible teaching. Because... You're not in church on Friday night if you're not saved. Like, for goodness sake, the last thing I need to do is be an evangelist. All right, so, so, so let's teach a bit. I want to connect some dots. I want to change the way you look at the Bible. All right, Mark chapter 5, verse 21. If you give me a little bit of leeway, okay, because I don't have it right in front of me. But it says, there was a synagogue ruler named Jairus, and he came to Jesus asking him to come pray for his daughter, for his daughter was very sick. Is that about right? And Jesus agrees to do so. Okay, look this way. And keep, keep your Bible right there because I'm going to tell the story because it's, it's just more interesting to do that. So I'm going to tell the story and then we're going to come back to it at the end, okay? But it's very important in Mark chapter 5 that we understand that the context is Jesus is going to pray for a little girl, okay? He's going to go pray for Jairus' daughter. And so that you get that, and I know you have it, I want you to say with some gusto, Jairus' daughter. daughter. A little bit more gusto. So Mark chapter 5, Jesus is going to pray for? Because Jairus' daughter is very sick and someone needs to go minister to her. And so Jesus is going to pray for Jairus' daughter. It is inappropriate to remove the context of Jairus' daughter from the context of Mark chapter 5. Because Mark chapter 5 is about Jesus going to pray for Jairus' daughter. So Jesus was on his way to pray for? And on the way there, something spectacular happens. And it's so spectacular that we lose sight of the fact that he's going somewhere else. One of the greatest miracles Jesus ever did was an interruption to his schedule. Which there's so much in that. Like if God, if, if you are so established in what you want to accomplish that God cannot change your schedule, then you will miss some of the greatest things God will ever do. Right? So Jesus is on his way to? Right? Because Jairus' daughter is very sick. She needs to be prayed for. So Jesus is on his way to? And it says on the way there, there was a lady with an issue of bleeding for 12 years. Now, 
You have to understand this. Hebrew people read the Bible through four levels. Pastors tickle me when they say, Shane, I nailed the meaning of that. Really? Which one? You, you nailed it? So you're the one that's going to stand in front of Jesus one day and him be impressed? Wow, that was something. Wish I'd have thought of that. Come on. Even rabbis who'd memorized the scriptures in the original language say that the Bible was written in four levels and every scripture has possibly 70 different meanings. It's like a 70-fasted diamond and it depends on how you turn it as to how light goes through it. All right? So the first level of meaning is called Peshat. P-A-S-H-A-T. Peshat. It just means plain. What is obviously going on. The second level of meaning is called Remez. Remez means hint or illusion. Hint or illusion. Like, so, the, like the, the author's hinting at something that's not obvious. Okay? Alright? The third level is drosh. Drosh is life application. Never ever study your word in, without asking yourself, what does this mean for me now? Okay? Fourth level is called sood, S-O-D. S-O-D, which means mystery. That there's always a dimension of scripture because you're a human being that you cannot see. The Holy Spirit has to reveal it to you. Okay? Now, so let's do a Peshat together. This is, this is not me preaching. This is me teaching the word, okay? I wouldn't do this if I was on a stage in front of a thousand people. But this is a Bible study night, so we could do it this way. Somebody tell me what is obviously going on. First, I'll, I'll lead you with questions. Who is Jesus going to pray for? And on the way there, what happens? There's this, right, this lady with an issue of blood, all right? Now, now I'd start asking questions about this. How long has she been bleeding? Really? Somebody counted? What if it was 11 years and 10 months? Who counted that? How long did she hold it as a secret? So when a Jewish person was reading this, they would know that the 12 years is a remez. It's pointing you to something else. No one knew how long she was bleeding. 12 years, really? So, so I want you to think about this, okay? So what's a Peshat? The, Peshat, the plain thing is Jesus is on his way to pray for Jairus' daughter. This lady with an issue of blood on the way there reaches out and touches the hem of his garment, okay? Now, to understand, I'm going to come back to 12 in just a second. This is a Peshat to them. In Jewish culture in the first century, there's only two types of people. People who are clean and people who are unclean. The words were Tameh, unclean, Tehor, clean. Okay? So everyone's either Tameh or Tehor. We in the West define sin very poorly. We define sin as the bad things that we do. So if you do something bad, you're sinful. Okay? Now, is that true? Well, it's sin is bad things, but it's bigger than that. Sin is anything that's not perfect. Leviticus says that if you have dandruff, you're sinning. So check your neighbor real quick and see if they're living in sin. Just check their shoulders. See if they're doing okay. Yeah. So if you have dandruff, if you have any skin rash, you're, you're sinning. So could you let us know right now if you have a skin rash, please? No, I'm just kidding. So, so, so TMA was very contagious. So if he has dandruff and I touch him, I am now unclean. And so, so it was very, very, very contagious. You couldn't, you couldn't touch an unclean thing. And so you couldn't, you couldn't do that. I'll give you in Leviticus chapter 12. It says it is unclean for a woman to have a period. So if you're here tonight and you're on your period, could you just raise your hand and let us know so that we know not to touch you? But, but, then, they, but then, they made it, then they made it even worse than that. They said you couldn't, this was man-made stuff, okay? But they said you couldn't even touch furniture where a woman who was on her period had sat in the last three days. So if you're not willing to raise your hand, would you at least leave a sign in your seat so that, so that we know not to touch it? This is how they lived back then. It was a rule, it was a rule that you could not touch furniture where a married couple had been intimate in the last three days. What'd you do, put a sign up? I was, I was preaching this in a pastor's house one time and he made everybody get off the sofa. <laughs> Yeah. He was 70 years old. <laughs> He's my hero. Yeah. Yeah. 
So Tame was very contagious. If you touch somebody, they, they, they found a way to make a lot of money on religious guilt. Aren't you glad we outgrew that? <laughs> and so what they would do is they made everything Tame, and then to be Tehor, you'd have to bring an offering. And if you didn't have an offering, you could conveniently buy one from them. So, back to Mark chapter 5. This lady with an issue of bleeding, what would she be considered? Unclean. She start, how does she get to Jesus? How, how, does, how does a lady who is an outcast ever get to Jesus? What does she do? It says that she pushes. In a Jewish world, if you're considered unclean, the best way to make a path is to put your arms out and start moving forward aggressively. Everybody she touched would have now been unclean. That's a Peshat. Here's some remezes. Twelve years. When a Jewish person read the number 12, what did he think of? Israel. Twelve tribes. So on the surface, there's this lady who is bleeding. But underneath the surface, there is this message from the author that says, just like this lady's been bleeding, Israel, you've been bleeding. You've been leaking life. You've been unclean. And something is here. Messiah is here to save you from your life leak. So, so on one sense, there's this lady who's bleeding. But in another sense, this isn't just about one lady at one moment at one time. It's about all of us. And when we get unclean and something is destroying our lives, it's about Jesus' willingness to heal us if we'll just reach out to him. So, so she pushes her way through the crowd. And it says she grabs... The corner of his garment. Hang on. Jesus is a Jew. What would have been attached to the corner of his garment? Tassels. What scripture comes to mind when I tell you that? Malachi chapter 4 verse 2. There will come from God a son of righteousness with healing in his wings. Kanaf. They would have memorized every scripture about Messiah, every one of them. And she says, I know, I know this is the one. I know he's the one that's from God, and I'm going to prove it right now. If he's the one that's from God, all I need is to grab the corner of his garment. And when I grab the corner of his garment, there will be healing in his wings for me. And so she, it says that she immediately, her issue of blood dries up. But Jesus doesn't even address it, does he? He actually does something very out of character, doesn't he? He says, who touched me? Who touched me? Power has left from me. Does that sound like Jesus? No, that sounds like Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> Luke, who touched me? The force has left me. What is that? Jesus never does that, before or since. Jesus is more humble and quiet. He's more like, hey, let's not tell anybody about this. But in this one moment, somebody touches him and he's like, who touched me? Who touched me? Power has left from me. Now, this is very important to the text. If there's a bunch of Jews standing around and an unclean woman touches Jesus, what does the whole crowd think Jesus has now become? Unclean. He would have been declared unclean by the public. Why? Because so, so there's lots of lessons in this. One... That the greatest miracle Jesus ever did was actually an interruption to his schedule. Two, Jesus was willing to humble himself and be considered unclean for the greater good of somebody else. There's all kinds of things going on here. But, it, but he looks at her and he says, go in shalom. Now I want you to think for a second, okay? We tend to read the Bible unemotionally because we're Western European and we want doctrine. But let's read it for emotion for a second. If you, some of you guys would even understand this, but you girls. If this lady has been bleeding for 12 years and she's considered unclean, what did that mean? It meant she had not been purposely touched in 12 years. When she walked into a room, people would have put their hands behind their back and walked away. How would you feel? How would you feel if for 12 years no one had touched you on purpose? How would you feel? How would you feel her husband would have been given a right to divorce her? Doesn't mean that he did. It just meant that would have been allowed because it would have been impossible for him to touch her without becoming unclean himself. How would that have felt? 
And Jesus says, I want you to do this. I want you to go in shalom. In other words, don't make the next husband pay for the sins of the first one. Don't make the next group of friends pay for the sins of the first group of friends. Don't do that. Go in peace, lady. Now something very sad happens. Remember, where's Jesus going? Jairus' daughter. And on the way to Jairus' daughter, there's this lady with an issue of bleeding. How long's the issue of bleeding been? Twelve years. Twelve years. Wait, it's obviously a remez. It's obviously making, it's an author making an allusion to something. It's not just about this lady. It's about you, Israel. It's about you people. So, so she pushes her way through the crowd. She grabs the corner of his garment. And what would have been on the corner of Jesus' garment? Tassels. There will come from God a son of righteousness with healing in his wings. While all this is happening, the little girl dies. The little girl dies. The next verse says this. And a messenger from Jairus' house came and said, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why bother the rabbi anymore? Does anybody find that a bit insensitive? Now, once again, we tend to read the Bible unemotionally. I want you to be emotional for a second. How many of you have daughters? Okay. Your daughter is dead. How are you feeling? Well, first emotion would be what? Devastation. Second emotion would be extreme sadness and unbelief. Third emotion would be anger. At who? No. I don't think Jesus. At the lady. Stupid woman. You've been bleeding 12 years. You couldn't wait 20 minutes. Like, why now? What? You, you, you had to do this now? My daughter's dead because of you, you stupid woman. Jarius, your daughter is dead. Why bother the rabbi anymore? How many of you find that very insensitive? But you have to understand Leviticus. This is why it's important for you to read Leviticus. In Leviticus it says, it is a sin to knowingly walk into a room where a dead body is. So the fact that she's dead means that Jesus would be sinning if he walks in there. Now is it very important that Jesus remains sinless? Yes. So Jesus would have been sinning if he walks in the room knowing the dead body's in there. Unless, Leviticus says, that it is a sin to knowingly walk into a room where a dead body is unless you're already considered unclean by the general public. Who touched me? Who touched me? Power has left from me. I need all of you to look at this lady with an issue of bleeding. She just touched me. I need all of you to see this. All of you bear witness to this. This lady just touched me. So what did the crowd think he was? So when the girl died, now they'll let him in the room. If what Jarius thought was the sabotaging of his daughter's healing was actually what enabled it. Without the lady making Jesus unclean in the sight of the people, they wouldn't have even let him in the room. Sometimes you think, there's an obstacle that's ruining your life, but you find out that it's the greatest opportunity you've ever had. Mm. Oh, I lost my job. Oh, great, I can go start my own business. <laughs> I think my life's over, but it's not. It's not. Oh, my wife left me. This is horrible. What? She was awful. Move on. This is the greatest day of your life, if you'll let it be. <laughs> so, sometimes, sometimes what you think is awful is actually the very thing that's bringing you wholeness. It's the very thing that's bringing you peace, shalom. So Jesus is on his way where? To pray for Jairus' daughter. Lady with an issue of bleeding. She's been bleeding. How long does the author say? Twelve years. Well, who knew that, right? So it has to be about something else. It's not just about this lady, it's about me and you and all of Israel who, who, who have been leaking life. It's, it's about God's willingness to save us, not to go to heaven one day, but to save us from our life leak now if we'll just reach out to him. On the way there, this girl dies. They'll never let him in the room. They would never let a rabbi in the room. And guess what? Whose house was this? 
Jairus is. Who's Jairus? A synagogue ruler. If anybody has to keep the rules, it's him. So Jairus, of all people, had to be pious enough to do this. Jesus sets them at ease. If you read this later, you'll see this. Jesus says, oh, she's not dead. She's just asleep. Wink, wink. <laughs> wink, wink. He says, but they all laughed at him. So Jesus goes in after the girl. See, this story is about sometimes you'll come to Jesus because you're seeking him. Other times you'll come to Jesus because he's seeking you. Even after you're dead. He's coming. Even when you think you couldn't get any lower, he's still there. When you think he quit looking, there you look up and there he is. This is Jesus seeking a dead girl. <laughs> so he walks into the room. And it says the only people there was a couple disciples and the girl's, the girl's father and mother. Now, before we look at the passage, I want, to, I want us to review, okay? All right, what is, the big, what is this big garment called? T together with some gusto. Do you know? Come on. Talit. The word is talit. All right, ready? I knew we needed to do this, all right? So what's the big garment called? Talit. Say it with some gusto. Talit. Say it one more time with some gusto. The big garment's called a? Talit. And it means what? The presence of God. You did not have to tell a Jew that the talit represented the presence of God. It was inherent in the meaning. So Jesus goes in. If you look around verse 40, Mark chapter 5, verse 40. And it says this, it says, Jesus told them that she's not dead, she's just asleep. It says, but they all laughed at him. And so he put all of them out except for a couple of disciples and the girl's father and mother. And he walked into the room where the dead girl was and he took her by the hand. Hang on, hang on. Is it a sin to walk into the room where a dead body is? Yeah. Would it therefore be a sin to touch something dead? Yes. So if this girl doesn't breathe, do we have a problem? No. But hang on a second. If Jesus was following their customs, what would have been wrapped around his hands? So when he took her by the hand, what did he do? He takes her by the hand. See, see in, the earlier, in the earlier story, the girl with the issue of blood, she reaches out and touches the garment. The dead girl can't do anything for herself, so Jesus brings it to her. See, sometimes you're too far gone for your own good. And that's when Jesus shows up and brings the tassels to you. He, he takes her by the hand. And, and so what did he do? He ministered the tassels. There will come from God a son of righteousness with healing in his wings. Wings. Next line. And he said to her, Talit ha kum. Talit ha kum. Little girl, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to get up. Little girl, the talit's here. It's time for you to arise. Little girl, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to get up. Where would he say that to you tonight? But, but Shane, you don't understand that my dad, uh, my child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to quit living in that and get up. But Shane, the government, what? If you're here and you're over the age of 55, could you please testify with me that it doesn't matter who's in the White House, the quality of your life comes down to the decisions you make. Democrat, Republican, they've all been in there and your life is still the same because of the decisions you make. It is not up to someone else to change your life. It is up to you to change your life. It's time for you to get up. But Shane, the schools I went to were overcrowded. What? My child, the presence of God is on your life. It is time for you to get up. See, it is irresponsible to teach the tassels as a presumption upon the grace of God to fix stupidity. If you need healing, I want to pray for you to be healed. 
but I would much rather you quit smoking today than need healing for lung cancer later. I, if, if you need healing for lung cancer, I don't care if you, you know, I don't care if you smoke 10 packs a day. It doesn't matter to me. I, 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 would, I will pray for you and I will believe God to heal you, but I would much rather you quit smoking. I would much rather you live on a budget and work hard and get out of debt and work a plan than to need a financial miracle every week of your life. The tassels is not a presumption upon God to fix stupid. The tassels is when God comes in when there's nothing more we can do. The, the tassels is when you've done all you can do and there's nothing you can do but reach out to God. That's what this is about. But if there's something you could do about it, you ought to pick yourself up and do something about it. If I can go Joyce Meyer on you for a second. If there's something you could do about it, by God, get off your rear end and do something about your life. If you don't like Joyce, maybe Joel Osteen. You're a champion. God loves you. You don't let that devil get in your head and get you all negative. You tell him to go on back to hell where he came from. Me and Victoria, we was talking the other day about what daddy used to say about y'all. And y'all aren't just beautiful people. Y'all are champions. So the next time that devil gets in your head and goes round and round and round and round, you just tell him to go back to hell where he came from. And you reach deep down inside of you and you become the champion God intended you to be. Whichever one works for you. If you can do something about it, you ought to do something about it. But, but within all of our lives, there will come a moment where we have done all we can do. And at that moment, it's where we reach out and grab the tassels. A few years ago, a lot of years ago now, I've, I went through something horrific. And I could tell you about it. But it's just none of your business. I was so stressed, though, that I couldn't even... I remember the day, I, I couldn't even decide to, which shirt to put on. And trust me, I am much better looking with a shirt on. And I was standing in my closet, and I'm, here I am, a licensed professional counselor. I... I, I and I couldn't, and I remember standing in my closet saying, come on, man, pull it together, pick a shirt. <laughs> and, and you know how if you, if you hang a shirt on a hanger, you pull it, and the hanger will sweep out? Well, it just so happened, I have 40 shirts, I don't know. It just so happened that the shirt I pulled had this folded like this. You know where you would normally hang your pants? It was double folded like this across the pants rack. So when I pulled the shirt, this came flying out. And so there I am in my closet and staring at me in the face was a face full of tassels. And I can tell you I had done everything I could do in that situation and there was nothing left for me to do. And it was almost like God was saying, I am God, you are not. It is now your time to reach out and grab the tassels. Amen. And so I did. And so my question to you is, where do you need to grab the tassels? Or maybe a better question would be, if Jesus is in you, then there's healing in your wings. Where do you need to minister the tassels to somebody else? Amen. The word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, the grace of God, the nature of God. May we be ministers of the tassels. Let me finish the passage with you. Look back at Mark chapter 5. And he said to her, Talit Hakum. Little girl, the Talit's here. It's time for you to get up. And she arose. And Jesus gave them instructions not to tell anybody. And how old was the girl? <laughs> so you mean the lady with the issue of bleeding 
has bled for the exact same number of years that this girl has lived. I wonder if they were related. Maybe the little girl was the cause of it. Who knows? It's all conjecture. But what I do know is, is that in both cases, it's not just about a lady bleeding, and it's not just about a little girl dying. It's about something far bigger. It's about me and you and every place that we're leaking life and God's willingness to, to, to minister the tassels of his presence to us. So, victory outreach. May you not just be people who come in here and seek the presence of God. May you not just get fat on the word, although I love it. I'm a word junkie. I, I love the word of God. I love the word of God. But if what we're doing in here does not lead us to ministering the tassels out there, what are we doing? I bless you to be people who know that God is with you here and he's also with you there. And your hand can be wrapped in the tassels as well. Now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to close this out. Here's what I'm going to do. As I close this out, I'm going to leave this up here. Now, I need this for the next place I'm going, okay? So I expect to see it at the end. But I'm going to leave that there. And here's why. If you're here, maybe you're like me, and you find a lot of ministry in tactile reminders. Now, those are just my tassels. They have no implicit power. But maybe... Maybe being able to look at what Jesus would have worn and maybe have your moment with God, maybe that'll help you. I know it helped me. And so I'm going to leave that up there because when we close out tonight, if you have something you need to give to God and you can honestly say, I've done everything I can do and I'm at the end of my rope, I need God to minister to me. Maybe you can have your moment with the tassels. Maybe you can have your moment where you reach out and you surrender it all to him. Maybe you're the one reaching out to him, but maybe you're already dead and he's reaching out to you. Either way, I invite you to have your moment with the presence of God and then to live every day as the presence of God to somebody else. Grace and peace be to you. God bless. Praise the Lord. Wow. How many have just been ministered to right now? How many can feel that even right now? You, you feel that? See, some of you just got a little shift that took place. There's a little shifting that happened right now. You could see it. You could sense it. There's a little shift. Close your eyes with me for just a brief moment. Father, you're as close to us as the air that we breathe. The song we sing, the light we live, Lord, our being is in you. Father, if there's anything that we have done that has missed the mark, Lord, we want to grab a hold of you. And Lord, I also pray for strength for those men and women that they know, that they know, that they know they've been called to reach out and stretch out and allow healing to happen these streets. Father, I pray that you would be with each and every man and woman that is here. May strength and peace. Lord, and if there's anybody that has been feeling like we heard earlier, any sort of depression, Lord, I pray joy once again back into our lives. Father, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to dismiss right now, but I, I really feel that when...
Brother Shane was ministering and talking about stretching out, reaching out. And of course, I mean, it's, it's in our name who we are. It's in our DNA, if you will, within Victory Outreach to reach out. Our victory is in our outreach. If we're not reaching out, we're not Victory Outreach. This is not perfect outreach. This is not got it all together outreach. But I want to tell you this. I know many of you are feeling, well, I don't have it all together. I don't have enough money. I don't have. Listen, you need to know this. God has anointed you. He's called you. He's separated you. And you got to do the work of God. You got to do the work of the Lord. Don't wait for a preacher or for a pastor or for a minister to tell you, go pray for somebody. Listen, for some of you, You've been feeling it in your heart of hearts. You visited your mom about four months ago in the hospital. And when you were there, you, man, you, you, you were kind of there going, somebody should pray for these people. Guess who that somebody is? It's you. The hospital ministry, you should be praying. There's prostitutes on these street corners. Man, they need some tassels. Pimps on the corners, they need tassels. Gang members, they need. This summer, I, I pray, Victory Outreach, listen to me. I pray that this summer that we would have in our hearts. Listen, I understand that we got a schedule, but we're going to have to interrupt the schedule this summer. We're going to have to interrupt the schedule this summer. I know many of you, oh, that's, we're gonna get, we got camping, we got this and that. Oh, that's great and that's good, but there's somebody out there, they need an interruption. They need a schedule interruption. And it's up to us. I believe it is up to us. God's called us. Tired of watching the news. Gang members this, drug acts this, drive-bys this. We got to do something. So listen, this summer, no spiritual junkies, or excuse me, no uh, uh, the word junkies. We're not getting fat this summer. We're not getting, we're going to exercise our faith. So I want to challenge you. Prepare yourself. Get ready. We got some marches we're going to be doing. We're going to be going late night. In the midnight hour, we're going to be doing some midnight praise runs, some home runs all around the Bay Area. We're going to be finding some prostitutes. We're going to be getting some gang members, putting them in the van, praying for them, laying hands on them, feeding them. We're going to find some homeless people around on the 7-Elevens on the side. What are we going to do? We're going to feed them. We're going to pray for them. We're going to see deliverance. God is going to be doing something. Even for those of you who say, well, I've never done that before telling you.